Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. She is Katie Flower. I am Chad Parsons. We're going to be talking about startup drafts, initial strategy, how they differ potentially from existing leagues, and how you might select cornerstone players early on in your draft, uh, your initial team build. And frankly, we're getting to the point where many people have executed many of their their rookie drafts. You might be getting the itch in June or early July to maybe add a startup draft. Um, We are going to be discussing Superflex as that is becoming more and more the standard format. If someone doesn't mention anything, you almost assume now that it's Superflex where five years ago, it was heavy, heavy assumptions that it was one quarterback unless otherwise specified. So we're getting a lot of tight end premium concepts uh, as becoming more normal, but Superflex is definitely becoming a lot more standardized. This is the official podcast of UTHDynasty.com. Get over 250 podcasts annually on the premium side. Did an entire, I think, eight or nine installment series about dynasty trading, adding to your dynasty owner toolbox back in the spring. All still applies. Evergreen content. Things like trade calculator, rankings, metrics, a little bit of Debbie in there, as well as a ton to get you ready for your best dynasty season yet. And Katie, let's talk a general overview and maybe even highlighting some of the differences here between valuing players a certain way or trading for players, valuing them highly on your own roster in an existing league and how that might differ when you start fresh, clean slate, new league, new owners out there, and you're building your team from scratch, how the same players may not apply with the same interest level. This is a great subject. And I love this subject first and foremost. Um, It is completely different when you're doing a startup versus if you already own the player, if you already own the player, you know, the state of your team right now, it's a green field and you, you don't know what players will fall to you for sure, for sure in each round. And therefore the things that I've used since I started dynasty in 2014, some of the very early under the helmet tenants still hold tried and true today. And that is round one of any startup draft is like buying a brand new car. As soon as you drive it off the lot, it loses value. And it really depends on the player, but most guys don't repeat year over year over year in that top 12. Those are the ones that you want to target. You don't want to take a chance in round one on a guy like Trey Lance, if it's super flex or a guy like Zach Wilson, or I would on Trevor Lawrence, if it were late in the round and QBs were flying off the board, but he's one of those very rare few exceptions. And even then I would still want to trade back if I could, whether I'm at the 101 or the 112, 
the whole key, in my opinion, to winning a startup is to insulate yourself. And that is by gaining extra future picks, by trading back and getting extra assets and not having just one particular target, always have a tiered approach. You don't want to be at the beginning of a tier if you can help it. You'd rather be more towards the end of a tier. That is what opens up the trade possibilities. I have been in some startup drafts where they got real tight and nobody wanted to trade or everybody wanted to trade back. And if everybody wants to trade back, that's not a great scenario. Then you've got to stick and pick best player available. And to me, I want to build a core of whatever the premium positions happen to be. And the easiest position to year one is the least important. So I don't care if I compete in year one. Sometimes I've still competed in year one and still won in year one, even though it wasn't necessarily a goal. It wasn't, uh, it was just, you know, happenstance. But just understanding going in that year one is the least important and you want to build a good, strong core. Running backs lose value very quickly especially even, even some guys that are propped up in, in round one. I remember when Giovanni Bernard was a startup first round pick or Monty Ball, you know, insert name. Even Ezekiel Elliott was just a year or two removed from being a first round startup pick. And now he's already dropped to the fourth round. You can get him for a steal right now. Um, so with that being said, Again, I try to build a core around the best assets of the premium positions if, if they fall to me. And then I'm still about building that strong wide receiver core, even though they are less critical. When you can find a stud that's a repeating asset that continues to do it year in, year over year, that's a strong asset to have on your dynasty team. I'm not talking about somebody that's 28 years old, but if you can find a 25, 26 year old or somebody that you can project to that spot, like there's some young guys now that I would, that I would take a shot on like AJ Brown, for example, he's, he's within that. I I could see him repeating multiple times and then worry about running back last they're the easiest to find in rookie drafts. They're the easiest to patch together until your team is ready to compete. Yeah. Um, one thing uh, that you were talking about is getting the best value, you know, and that can be through trading that can be through future picks. One thing I would highlight that is a difference between when we talk about startup drafts or we do war rooms or interrogation room premium shows uh, when you're talking about January through April is the pre-draft or even pre-free agency, the more data points you still have to go before they start playing games and before now, see now post-draft, we have a lot more data points on the season is next. Yes, we have some twists and turns with preseason and training camp, a few injuries, but we at least know 95 to 98% of the depth chart kind of where are we swimming, you know, in this ocean. And with your when you're pre-free agency, 
when you are pre-NFL draft, there is a lot more risk, as we always say, with existing players that you view as, well, who knows? You know, does the NFL team, we had we had concerns potentially about uh, some quarterbacks on where these top ones would land, uh, you know, when we were back in February and April, and we don't have that now. They have already landed. So there's a number of, of changing landscape things that we always talk about when in doubt, just take a rookie pick, you know, or, or load up and basically prolong the decision-making process of what asset to take because veterans can go down. The rookie picks can't go down when you're talking about March. So that's a, that that's one notable difference. Now we finally have those 1.0 depth charts and, and team landing spots. And here's the global situations that we're, we're, we're choosing between. And then the other thing I would say uh, and this applies regardless of when your startup draft is, is generally the most liquid asset you will ever have. And that applies to all players, all future rookie picks is your first round startup selection because it's the entire landscape of NFL players. And so especially this year, we haven't got got into this year specifically too much yet, but especially this year, there are a lot of differing opinions. Uh, quarterbacks are going very high. It kind of reminds me of, it was like 2011, 2012, where even in start one quarterbacks, they were coming off these big time seasons and they were littering even start ones in round one, which was very uncommon. I can only imagine super flex drafts back then uh, or two quarterback. Um, in terms of uh, how much they would be top heavy in this in a startup draft environment, but that first round pick and and Katie mentioned that they it varies wildly. Generally, you have two buckets of some size of people that are looking to trade down, people that are looking to trading up, and the first trade or two that happens in your league of someone trading down, uh, if they set the market low, that's it. I mean, you're not going to get 50% more by you trading down with some other pick in round one. It's just not going to happen. They see what just occurred. They see the trade that was executed and that's it. The price and the market is set. And then the other part is sometimes uh, you mentioned that it's uh, a lot of it is, you know, everyone might be looking to bail and sometimes it might be a relatively balanced market where you will have opportunities pretty easily to get a decent return trading down. I'm generally a fan of trading down. Um, I think there's not many uh, years where you sit even high in round one and you say, I have to stick and pick. There are players that I would recommend in that range. But in general, when you can leverage it and you can look out to round two or three and say, uh, there are good players there, and I can pick up two to three other things. Uh, in addition, all of a sudden, we talked about stretching out decisions and insulating yourself. And when you do that right off the bat by saying, instead of 10 picks in the first 10 rounds, I have 12 and I have an extra first rounder next year, you see how you're stretching things by all of a sudden now you're not, you're, we're implementing and kind of applying all the things Katie said about. The first year is the toughest one to win. It's the most ambiguous on the power ranking and structure of the league. Who actually are the strongest teams? Who are the weakest teams? But that's going to be divided, you know, sometime during the first season or by the first offseason that you're going to have sort of different buckets of where do I stand? Was year one disappointing for me? Did I kind of execute what I was hoping for as a contender or a building team? 
Yeah. And regarding trading back, if you do find willing partners, just realize that there is, there is a lot of risk involved in trading back. You're trading a stud. You're trading a, a known commodity. You need to be compensated for that. And a two-for-two two trade is not going to benefit your team most of the time. Most of the time, you will be on the losing side of that stick, even if it's they trade their, their second and uh, fourth for your first and 10th. It may seem like a big difference between the fourth and the 10th, but really that big difference is from the first to the second. It so, drives me nuts though when I see that. And we see it all the time. The whole people get locked into two for twos and three for threes. And we always have to just, you know, it's almost like a woodpecker. We keep hitting the tree of telling them, no, get extra picks extra picks. And that doesn't always have to be future picks in the startup draft. So even if you have a limitation, you cannot leave the draft with more than 25 players or 30 players. You can still move up later, trade some extra pick or any pick for a future selection and still be at the requisite number. But so many people get locked into it has to be a balanced trade. Exactly. And that's a great way to lose the trade. And, and, Again, if you're going to be assuming the risk of who's going to be there in that second round or at the next pick, then again, it better be worth your while. And whether it's getting a future first, and I don't really care if it's 2022, 2023, 2024, a first is a first is a first. I do like the 23 class a lot, but I wouldn't be opposed to the 22nd, you know, first. It, it depends on what your league allows. And then if you can't get that future first, just realize that if there's rookies in the draft because it's post NFL, then around a seventh round pick is still the equivalent of a first. And so get that seventh round pick or even an eighth round pick as that extra pick for it's your like a proxy for that future first. Exactly. So instead of, so you get a three for two deal, you, you trade your first and maybe your 10th for a second, fourth and seventh or something like that. And that's a lot better chance for you to win the trade or at least get the depth that you're looking to get. And the other thing I would, I would highlight is especially early on in the first round, you're talking about guys like Patrick Mahomes and Christian McCaffrey, uh, other top quarterbacks this year, guys like Josh Allen coming off a big year. I'm skeptical of Kyler Murray more than some of the other names I just mentioned. But when you're moving off of that spot, um, I think you have to be very careful. You mentioned about how you know, this is how you can lose trades, right? It's losing the cornerstone or Oracle guy at certain positions, guys that can literally be long-term, you know, we're looking at Patrick Mahomes on this dynamic early career spectrum that could be that. I mean, you know, I, I think Jordan was the one that, that kind of said, I mean, he could be the number one one in Superflex for the next five years. You know, and, and and without too much, and he might be the big litmus test on when does a stud quarterback actually seep some value due to age. You know, we might actually see how that plays out in a few years to see where that that break line is. Um, but when you're moving off of those spots, I always remind folks. So whether you move down, like so, off of 101, you've got to assume even if you go to 102, Mahomes is going to be gone. Someone's trading for Mahomes. So if you're trading to 102 
or 110 or 203, you kind of, so this gives you some liberalities because if I'm moving to 102, you still got to get a lot. So probably what I've seen is generally if you're moving off of 101, let's say that, so it's, it's Mahomes to non-Mahomes selection. You're better served generally by moving farther. And if you try to, oh, I'm going to move to six. Well, they're like, oh, I'm only moving five spots. So there's like a mental block that they're not going to give you as much as you, you're viewing it as Mahomes to someone else just someone else. And you might have two or three players. You got to assume they're all gone. And how that, how does that tier break look to you? Probably pretty big. So you're, you're going to ask for a lot, but if, so you have a better chance moving to the late first, even like the early to mid second, you're going to have a much better chance because they're viewing it as they're moving a long way. Plus I'm getting whatever player I want. So that's always an important thing I see from folks that, you have to view it, and this works in rookie drafts every single time, but you're dealing the player, regardless if a player fell. Like, let's say McCaffrey goes one, and you know there's some other format wrinkle where some other position goes. Let's say on some oddball parallel universe, Patrick Mahomes is available to you at three. Well, you're instead of viewing it as 103, you still are viewing that as Patrick Mahomes. So just like in rookie drafts, if you're moving off a spot and just because someone fell in your eyes, you're trading 110. Okay, but if you're 105, 106 players at 110, you're trading that equivalency. So you really need to have that focus, especially in startup drafts, with the top of the board. But in general, if you're moving off of a very specific target player, Katie mentioned operating in tiers, um, you know, as you go through and you always want to have a subset of players that you're considering. Um, but always view it as I'm giving up. Who am I likely losing? Who that is on my target list? And that's how you have to view any trade um, escapade, you know, adventure as you move off of that pick or potentially do so. Yeah. And the other thing that you've got to keep in mind is it sometimes takes owners in a startup draft a little bit of time to loosen up. So you may not be able to trade your first round pick. You stick and pick the best player available that you can. But try again when you get to round two, because now to some people, you're running out of studs on the board, whereas in the first round, there's still plenty of studs and they, they're not quite as concerned. But in round two, they may start to loosen up a little bit and then you can still get your future first or you can still get your additional seventh or eighth round pick. But just continue to send the trades. My, my last startup, I think it was in February, but my last startup, I think I had like over 200 and some odd trade offers that I had sent out over the course of the draft. Most of them were in the first four rounds. It does slow down after a piece, but it's your best opportunity to gain all those extra assets without people even thinking about it. So especially if in round two, somebody falls to that spot at your pick that you didn't expect to be there, shop it, shop it, and then be happy to take the person if they fell to you, if you can't get the deal, but hold out, hold strong. It takes it takes patience to trade, but it also takes holding your ground and, and knowing what to expect. And if you're in the middle of a startup and you just aren't quite sure, you can always DM chat or I 
I mean, we're there. We'll, we'll answer you. Yeah, I would say dynasty trading in general, but in a startup draft, if you don't put in the work and you don't put in the offers, I mean, and you could easily go through most of the draft and execute zero deals. You made maybe one marginal deal because you're kind of waiting on others to come to you. Just because you're on the clock, I mean, Katie and I and you know some others are going to be proactive. You know, if there's someone we really like, we'll send offers. But many people won't. I mean, a lot of people are going to, you know, they'll have the emails that that say picks have been made, but the big reaction is going to be, oh, I'm on the clock. Oh, better get on there and see who's available and, you know, keep building my team. But you've got to be, if you're looking, especially to trade down, you may get some offers out of the blue, but it may be in a scenario where there's a glaring player globally kind of viewed as the, you know, by most of the league, if you polled them at the time that is available and that maybe people view as a round one guy, but it's 204 and there they are. And but to make that trade, and Katie highlighted, I mean, a couple hundred trade offers is not, you know, like a ridiculously like out of out of mind uh, expectation when you're being active and you're trying to cultivate big value by moving down. And you're not going to know, uh, you know, in every given scenario, who's interested in uh, in moving up. But if you send out offers and cultivate, you know, you know, the general process, we talk about doing it in waves. And when you're on the clock, you're likely going to have, what, six hours, eight hours, maybe 12 hours. Uh, and you might have a pause overnight, but you have a restricted time period. And so you've got to send out that wave relatively early, the first hour or so, or just whenever you see that you're on the clock, you digest who's available. So you send out that wave. And that could be multiple offers to many of the teams, depending on where they are, where you're trying to move to, and what they have. Um, so you might send out 10, 15, 20 offers. Now, it's unrealistic to expect within the next hour or two that they all get back to you. So you kind of have, this is the artistry of kind of feeling the room and feeling the, the in energy of how many people are, are going to get back to you. Because if five, six, seven of them get back to you relatively quickly, there might be two or three teams that they're not going to reply at all. I mean, they might be busy. Uh, they're just not that interested, but not that interested. And they're not responding with a, you know, I'm not looking to move up. Thanks. You know, in a rejection email, you may not get that clarity, but uh, once, uh, you know, half, six, seven teams get back to you, it might be time because the clock again is not your friend here and you're trying to keep the draft moving, but you're also trying to execute what you're looking for that that's the time to circle back. And if they didn't specifically say, you know, not looking to move up, they didn't supply comments or you might've gotten counter offers that you can now start exploring in wave two. So this whole process that you might be doing uh, three or four different times in the first four or five rounds with your various picks this is something that takes time and it kind of needs to become a habit. And frankly, it's a lot of the experience level of I've done startup drafts before. I might not have done startup drafts this year, but I understand the, the, the mechanics and concepts of trading down, doing these waves, getting, getting proposals back or declinations, and then sending out others and, and kind of having that entire thing moving over the course of those few hours when you just now get on the clock. Yeah, it can get frustrating because there will be owners that just ignore your trade offers and they let them, you know, the pick expire or you just have to learn who to move on without. But again, 
don't let that frustrate you into not sending them offers the next time. Just continue, continue, try to get a dialogue going if you can, try to get to know your lead mates, but you'll get to know their habits within the first few rounds. And that's good information for not just during the draft, but for future trade relations as well. And you'll almost immediately find out who the active owners are, who, who aren't, and you'll see who's aggressive and who's more passive. These are all good things. It's kind of like poker. You're just trying to observe your league mates and figure out who's who at the table. And the more that you can steer, the better the opportunity. And again, just even if you don't necessarily want to trade the pick, maybe there's a player that you like, it still won't hurt to send out trade offers to see what else can you get. But the other caveat, the other thing it, that, uh, that I've seen, some people, you know, the two for two trade is one that, that drives me crazy. But another is just when you make two for two trades, one after the other, after the other, and you're continually to trade back and trade back and trade back but you're never getting those extra pieces. So what are you really actually even acquiring? Right. The whole, uh, the whole moving back from round two to round three, but I moved up from round eight to round five. Congratulations. In round five, you're going to move back also. So at some point you got to stay and pick or else you're not. You're now I have six picks in a two round span from round seven to round eight. Congratulations. Exactly. And, and in the meantime, all the good players are going off the board. Not that you can't get good players at every point during the draft, but there is a lot of time go. Right. Exactly. There is a point. If you're only going two for two trades where trading back anymore does not make any sense. You've got to pick up those extra assets, but especially if you're going to do it multiple times. Yeah. And I, I will say one of the themes and kind of transitioning a little bit to 2021 here that this is one of the most top heavy go after quarterback uh, years in terms of super flex drafts. Uh, a lot are populating round one with various levels of their, their NFL profile to date. And in general, uh, I guess I would kind of ask you reading the room and saying, the why is the market like this? I would say it's a very robust and there's young, productive, profiled running backs that are available. There, There is a droves and droves of either young with pedigree and some production or highly productive for a stretch of time wide receivers that are, again, just generally fading to the mid rounds. And it's because quarterback is high. Do you think that is because quarterback is really the most robust we've ever seen it with look at these guys and how great they are or do you think part of it is if you look past 20 to 25 names the fragility of well if i get stuck and i don't have a couple guys you know or i don't have a cornerstone guy in the top you know in the first round or so then i'm going to be missing the boat and hurting at a super flex position that is inherently worlds more valuable than a one quarterback league. Like, what do you think the actual market dialogue for setting this of so many quarterbacks being so high actually is? I think there's a couple of reasons. And for the first time in quite a while, we are now having 
such an exodus of quarterbacks that are retiring. Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger is on his last legs. There's so many question marks. And even Tom Brady still looks like the Iron Man out there. But eventually he will also need to put up his cleats. And then besides the guys that are getting older and closer to retirement, then you've also got a whole bunch of question marks. Deshaun Watson with his case that's going on, and he wants to get traded. Aaron Rodgers wants to get traded. And Russell Wilson isn't happy, and he wants to get traded. There's so many question marks. Then, And then the other question marks, you got the young middling guys like Sam Darnold and Jared Goff, and what's to become of them? They've got maybe one more year as a starter. It's shit or get off the pot. And if they don't, then now there's question marks there. So I think people are a little bit panicking because of the questionability of the overall position and the stability of it for right now. It's, it's been the most topsy-turvy offseason for quarterbacks that I've ever witnessed. And then on top of that, you've got some podcasts that are out there advising people to hoard quarterbacks. And in a super flex where you only have to start one quarterback, you can start a running back or a wide receiver on a bye week. Yeah, it's nice to have depth, two or three guys. But there are some people saying, you know, draft five. But you're not putting up a zero. I mean, the point is you don't have to put up a zero. Like if you have one quarterback in a two quarterback league, then yes, you've got to put a backup or somebody on by or injured player in that number two spot. And they will be accruing likely a zero. But as you always point out, Superflex is a different animal in terms of the requirement and the stringent nature of that lineup. So if you get one good, strong quarterback early in the first or second round, and then you're willing to wait. You know, just a couple of years ago, it was waiting on the Alex Smith or the Joe Flacco. Now it's more like waiting on the Kirk Cousins or, you know, insert name of older veteran that's passed. Like even Ryan Fitzpatrick, he'll be the starter for Washington this year. We've seen the numbers he can put up. If you're fine with him as your second guy and you're willing to wait and you've got somebody decent in, in round one, then you can scoop up while everybody is panicking, trying to grab all the young quarterbacks that may or may not even make it past their rookie contract, let them because there's going to be rookies again next year. And there's going to be rookies again the year after that. And if your team is, is one of the worst teams in the league to start with, you're going to get a good shot at a strong quarterback in your rookie draft. And that with the one quarterback that you've got that is strong, you add, now you've got two. And then maybe you you hit on a guy in the second round of a rookie draft that wasn't supposed to be anybody's starter, but had a good profile and you kept him stashed. Or maybe you get through by, uh, you know, trading for a, a guy that's, looking like he's on his last legs. There's just so many ways to fix it if you need to. And you don't even have to play a quarterback at that second position. I'm And, and it's a 12-team lead. Do the math. 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL on any given Sunday. That's 12. And about 50 actually see starts in a given year, 45 to 50, that 
uh, there's going to be a handful of those, if not more, that come off the waiver wire for some cross section, exactly. right? Exactly. So the whole point is, if if the league is doing one thing, if they go nine quarterbacks off the board in round one, then what they're saying is the ninth guy is the same price as the first guy. There's no distinction. There's no differentiation, except you're a higher risk. You're taking a higher risk if you take a guy that's the number nine, ninth. I would rather go with my top wide receiver or trade the pick, get out of the first. And if I have to get, and even Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are going in round two, which is still okay, but... I just see there's a lot of risk. Like the quarterbacks that are going high, and I know there's plenty of risk, you know, with, with some of the profiles beyond. You kind of talked about some of the the older established guys that are venturing out if they haven't already retired. You've got ambiguous situations like Jalen Hurts. You know, is he going to end up yeah. being a strong quarterback, somebody that's replaced next offseason with a pick or a signing? You know, what do you have with Daniel Jones? You know, Jared Goff, where does he stand at the career crossroads over the next year or two? Or Jameis Winston, you know, Baker Mayfield, uh, Carson Wentz, is he going to rebound? So I get it when you venture out beyond, you know, the first 15 to 18 guys. But within that zone, and we, we talk about all the time, these big five quarterbacks that go in the top 15 in this year's rookie class, they're all going relatively high, or at least four, four of them uh, going down through Zach Wilson, that... I mean, most likely a couple of them aren't going to really pan out. You know, in a couple of years, you might be going, uh, I don't know what I have here, you know, or I know what I have and I don't like it. So like for those guys to be up there and the veterans that are mixed in, but even round one, like, uh, again, I have my preferences within this, but to say Justin Herbert, I like what I saw. He's one year in and we've seen this story before. Let's rewind. Derek Carr was going very highly in Superflex. Jameis Winston, very high. Carson Wentz, very high. And those stories, Marcus Mariota, these stories did not turn super rosy from what you paid. They turned into value plays because they fell through the floor at various points. And I actually, you know, we had a Twitter conversation with someone saying, like, you know, there's no argument to not have Justin Herbert in your top five quarterbacks. And I think there's some easy arguments. One of the big ones is there's still risk unless you play at a high level two years. You know, at, at, at the at the quarterback position, Herbert has not done that. He's done it once, and so. To sophomore slump or just learning curve, things changing, NFL defenses adapting, or just maybe the oblong ball doesn't bounce your way so many times, you know, the, the very next season. And to see him up in this stratosphere to me is risky. So could this work out? Could he be the next, you know, vanguard of the young players at the position that we look back in five years and it's like, wow, you know, I mean, but the odds that it's a straight upward Thank goodness I got him with a mid first round super flex startup pick because there were no dips in the road, no buying opportunities, no dips to the second, third round of super flex startups in the next two or three years. That is very unlikely, very unlikely with a young quarterback. So we'll see again. Great start. I don't, I'm not going to take anything away from him, but he, he particularly scares me because you look around him and everybody has done something to a longer duration in the NFL. And then I also look at guys like, again, Trevor Lawrence hasn't played. 
Is he the best pro- prospect since dot, dot, dot? The point is he hasn't played yet, and we're putting him in the first round. Uh, ahead of guys that have been playing for a number of years and have, in my opinion, less how good are they at the NFL level risk. And you've also got a new, a new coach coming from college there. So does that create buying opportunities over the next two to three years if something you know, systematically, foundationally with the Jags don't, doesn't work out? Could he absolutely, you know, elevate beyond his situation or, you know, things weaving in and out in terms of stability there? Absolutely. Could he just rise the tide of whatever's going on around him? Well, big time quarterbacks do that. So we'll find out if things don't go perfectly. But I'm looking at that. I'm looking at Joe Burrow. Same thing. One kind of okay year and he got hurt. And now we're putting them up, you know, in the top 12, top 15, because you got to go get your quarterback. I, I mean, let's we've seen this before leading to the end of your rookie contract plus you know a a fifth year option and other stuff lamar jackson checks my watch hasn't been anointed with some monster contract and frankly if i was baltimore i'd have some pause with that as well so to pretend like he's on some oh yeah he's for sure going to be a dynamic starting nfl quarterback for the next three to five years contract wise and Quarterback-wise, that's not a given right now. So all these are guys, Kyler Murray, he's an average NFL passer. Average. Look at almost everything. And so he's a great runner, but I think that's going to come down a little bit. So all these guys, I think, are pretty risky in their relative terms when you're saying round one, start your dynasty team uh, acquisition price to, to, to get into this dance. Absolutely. Uh, Lamar Jackson is what he was in high school and what he was in college, a runner who's a very inaccurate passer. He hasn't improved that much. If you look at his yards per attempt and his uh, adjusted yards per attempt based on his uh, touchdowns to pass uh, interception ratio, breaking news. I haven't even shared this with you yet, but I'm in the process of doing a very deep dive quarterback study all the way back to high school and, and uh, coming up with some pretty exciting information that may end up helping peg guys a little bit sooner rather than just using your eyes, a combination of film and, and analytics. So it's really cool, but it, it really helps to make you aha and say, you know what? Lamar Jackson is still the same guy he was all the way through the process, all the way through. So will he change? Change takes a lot. Have you ever tried to change your golf swing or your tennis swing or stop drinking or it's horrible or hard? Eat? Yes. Yeah. I mean, any of those things, these are things people average people can relate to just losing weight, stop drinking and lose weight. Or you always get up at eight and all of a sudden we're going to get up at five 30 and go to the gym. You know how hard it is to change your entire lifestyle like that. Exactly. That that is, that is not only changing habits for the short term, but you have to change them to the point where it becomes muscle memory and automatic without even thinking. And pretend you've been doing it for, for 20 years and now you're changing it. Like you just said, Lamar Jackson to change his stripes, you know? Exactly. Now, Josh Allen was, was different because he he's one of those guys that put in the off season work and 
it did work for him. But Blake Bortles took the offseason to work and it didn't work for him. And I'm sure there's I'm sure Jalen Hurts has been working, but we'll see. He's not an accurate passer, Jalen Hurts. He scares the crap out of me. I'm not taking any chances. Now, if I drafted him in the second round of a rookie draft, I'm excited. I'm happy. I'll take him. I'll keep him if I can't get what he's valued at. And I'll roll the dice and just run with it. But I'm not going to pay up for a guy like him. And certainly not in a startup draft. I'm not putting my dynasty life on the line for him. I won't. But people do. And they do it all the time. And then, again, it's all about insulating yourself trying to take the best player available and not buy into the hype, but sell into the hype. I think the final point I'm going to make about the, the super flex and quarterback position here is kind of pigeon, uh, you know, kind of moving off of what you said uh, a while ago, which is you kind of need one solid guy. You'd like to have that cornerstone spot in terms of a profile, a guy that you look out two to three seasons. And I would remind folks Dynasty teams change a lot in, in two or three seasons, regardless if they're your first two or three of a, of a new league or you know any two to three year chunk beyond that, that a lot of your roster, two thirds of it, it, a lot of times turns out. Now, what six, seven players in, in a typical depth roster are going to survive that uh, through trade opportunities, uh, just dropping them, um, you know, and the churn that comes with future rookie picks. So, Knowing that and, you know, how many of those are going to be quarterbacks, you know, maybe one, maybe two. So if you're looking at that prism, I mean, I look at guys that who have done, has done it. And if you look at, again, the one year sample size or zero year sample size of guys that you're going to have to take in the top 10 to 15, and then you look out and you say, you know, year one is not that important to me. Well, if you're making that, that statement, you're saying year one is nice, but it's tough. It's tough, and especially if I traded back uh, once or twice, I got extra picks. I'm building my depth. I've got uh, a couple extra picks next year or the year after. I'm kind of building this from the ground up organizationally. And so I look at profiles like, you know, we've mentioned Kirk Cousins, but Matthew Stafford, for example. Heck, even look at Matt Ryan, the loaded weapons he has around him, and the fact that he's still at an age where you'd put him on a two to three pretty comfortably year window. Uh, of potentially being uh, a high impact guy and looking at options like that, where you can wait and wait and say, my worst case scenario is they are my QB one. And like you mentioned, you know, you can get Ryan Fitzpatrick or take, take a shot on, on one or two other guys um, as sort of a rotational, you know, one to two year window and maybe not two, three, four year window. Um, that's really optimal. I would point out Deshaun Watson that if you're not looking at this year, I still think there's a possibility of a zero game suspension. All year is still in play. But if you're looking specifically at the most important or the next important game for me, and we'll kind of feel out how 2021 goes, but if week one 2022 is really sort of your landing spot that you're looking at, Watson's pretty perfect because, uh, again, if, if he ends up missing time this year or changing teams to the next time for the next time he plays, you're talking about a guy that has done a lot in the NFL for being in his mid 20s. And yet he's now going like round late round three or round four. I mean, you're talking about a guy you can wait, maybe even get a, a, another quarterback before that if you're being aggressive. But even if you double stack, you know, Watson with like, 
you know, Stafford or Cousins or somebody like that, I mean, you're cooking with something when you get to 2022. And however much Watson plays, if he does in 21, is a bonus there. So just know that they're, when you're looking at things through a different prism than week one in the early month or two of this year is the most important one. And I've got to get a guy that's super young, uh, you know, because I want a guy that's going to be with me for the next decade. Those are some big time traps that you can run into with your early super flex startup picks as my, as my last point here. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I've noticed the safest quarterbacks and tight ends are the ones that have already surpassed the rookie contract and are on to their second deal. And I don't mind having my quarterbacks being on the older side. You don't have to have young at every position and you've got rookie drafts every year. Somebody inevitably falls to that. If you are a contender, they fall to that 110, 111, 112 range all the time. Just continue to scoop up a quarterback every single year for the next three or four years in your rookie drafts. Don't you think age is overrated at like, do you, do you think the dynasty market overrates quarterback age, a guy yes. being 25 versus 30 or 22 Absolutely. versus 32? A hundred percent. You're looking 100%. out in your dynasty league of like, Oh, I wanted this guy to not be retired in 2028. Are we serious with this? Like you're, you're looking out so far. I mean, and I, I always harken back to examples like three years ago, Drew Brees was going for like a second round pick because people were scared he was going to retire. Every freaking game he played was just printing money. Tom Brady, last off season, the off season before that, the the bet is just, is he going to still be in the NFL? Like that's basically the bet you're making at the price point it was. I mean, it's laughable and it feels like, I mean, there's a little more dynamics at play, but Aaron Rodgers is on the same path. We're already seeing Matt Ryan fall through the floor. Uh, and we can we can make fun of Erector set, you know, Skeletor Ben Roethlisberger, like he is out of the league. He's still the starting quarterback this year. And if people wanted to dump him for, you know, a later second round rookie pick and super flex this offseason, you're locked into having, you know, pending health, uh, another starting season from a quarterback locked and loaded with some good weapons around him. So you can find Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, you can find, I feel comfortable in a one-year, two-year prism, affordable plays. And if they do beyond that, or if they actually post a good season, it's just, it's just money. It's just pure profit because that's the dynamics of everyone chasing the young guy when if you're piecemealing it together and you're okay occasionally with a guy retiring off of your roster, God forbid, I remember Tony Gonzalez for like four years in a row, people would just bury the guy and he was valueless and he posted a couple top 10 PPR seasons late. You know, who knows? Jimmy Graham or, you know, Jason Witten was the same way of like, he's still kicking. He gets on waiver wise. He actually retired and then he came back. People were still starting him. So I just, I think a little too often, especially at quarterback and tight end, you want guys that you know can play because I think it's very difficult when a guy's 22, 23, and you're kind of looking through the weeds at a partial or very young, in, you know, incomplete profile of, uh, not sure this guy can play. Yeah, you're paying a lot for the actual what age are they on the back of the football card, you know, that, oh, I want to make sure they're around for the long haul. There's going to be so many twists in the road of like, eh, you might trade the guy. Like you might get opportunities the next three off seasons to trade some young quarterback and you may take one of them. So did the age actually matter? 
I mean, the age kind of gets you something market-wise, but for you, your lineup, your team, your production, I think you need to separate these two things because that older established quarterback, their floor is a heck of a lot higher than what's what what could happen in worst case or even neutral-ish production uh, offshoots over the next one to two seasons with some of these young guys. Yeah, so many of the young guys, you, you think about just in the last three or four years of startups, Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Marcus Mariota, Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen. And you're Josh playing Rosen. the hits. You're playing the Josh hits. You're actually picking the biggest David. guys too. You're actually What's picking that? some, you're picking big names. I mean, these yeah. are young guys that all had pedigree and a following and a lot of supporters that they were going to be one of the next big things. So again, rather than the shiny brand new car that you don't even know if it's going to run properly when you get it out on the highway, rather than pay $50,000 for that brand new car, let it get some mileage Buy that, buy that car, buy that truck. It's, it may not be quite as shiny, but 26, 27, 28, 29 year old quarterbacks, that's the spot to buy. They got some mileage on them, but now they're ready to roll. Now you exactly know who they are. NFL teams told you that they value them because they gave them a big money contract. Right. But you can get them at a discount in dynasty and still ride them for the next 10 years. Maybe you don't have that, that same shine. It's not as hot and sexy, but gosh darn it, it's going to steer your dynasty team for the next decade. Exactly. See how it feels in September, October when you're setting your lineup. Exactly. And I don't think you're going to be thinking about this guy's 33 versus this guy's 25. I don't think that's going to be at the forefront of your thoughts over the next few seasons. Uh, so yeah, absolutely great stuff. Love talking team building uh, and, and Katie Flower dropping some knowledge here at FF underscore Skyler 399. And I am Chad Parsons. Reminder about UTHDynasty.com, but also patreon.com slash UTH. Uh, we got some uh, bonus and exclusive content over there if you want to support the show. Continue listening here ad-free on a weekly basis. And don't say it much, but sub- subscribe, uh, review, and rate on, on your podcasting platforms. That helps um, everybody. Also get some uh, good juju and uh, good vibes out there as well for saying that we are doing a great job. Uh, so good luck in your startup drafts. Uh, again, this is kind of the season. People get to June, July, and they want to take on a new team and build it from the ground up. Come back. It'll be in the show notes here that you can listen uh, to some of the startups. And again, we've got a ton of premium content as well about startup draft, team building, player selection profile, and just expanding on a lot of the things that you heard in this episode. So for Katie Fire, myself, Chad Parsons, until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties.